0: Nowhere else on the planet Earth I would rather live than right here. Amen. Thank God that He chose us to be alive at this time and in this place. And we want to give Him honor and glory and praise for everything, all the freedoms that we enjoy. And uh, let's not take them for granted. I don't like to just call it the 4th of July. I like yeah. to call it Independence Baby. Day Amen. because it celebrates the freedom. But I'm most thankful for the freedom that I have in Jesus Christ. Yep. He told me, you, 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 if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we welcome you here today. Thank God for our visitors that are here today. Make yourself at home. Uh, We love having you as our guest today. And join us as we worship. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just offer up praises to you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we're grateful for all the freedoms that we enjoy. Lord, we thank you for all the blood that was shed so that we can have these freedoms, Lord. Uh, we, we don't take that for granted. We thank God for every sacrifice that was made. And we thank you most of all for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, that makes it possible for us to have fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that you would be honored in all that we say and do today, that you, as we receive our offering this morning, that you would just uh, take it, receive it, that it would be a sweet smelling aroma. God, that it would be for the upbuilding and the furtherance of your kingdom, Heavenly Father. Be, uh, be glorified in all that we say and do. We ask these things in the name of your Son Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. May be seated. I thank Pastor Jackson for uh, preaching in my absence, and uh, I know you thoroughly enjoyed his his ministry. And we're we're thankful that he's here to uh, to share with his his ministry with us, and so I appreciate that. Thank you for praying for me while I was away, and I've been praying about what to do uh, for this service. And I believe the Lord has given me uh, a message, and it's not going to be a real light-hearted kind of message. Uh, I don't consider myself a prophet, um, but I do believe that God has given me a prophetic message. the the uh, The prophet in the in the Bible, he didn't just predict the future; uh, he he said, "Thus saith the Lord," and. Uh, and the Word of God is uh, alive and quick and powerful, and we need it more now than we've ever been. Uh, and I said earlier, I thank God that I'm American, and, and I, I am thankful. Amen. My father served in Vietnam, my grandfather in World War II, my great-grandfather uh, in World War I, and my ancestors go all the way back, really, to the Revolutionary War. I've got ancestors buried just off Ansonville Road out in a field. Uh, you'd never know there was a cemetery there. But uh, So I, I believe red, white, and blue, okay? I do. And, uh, and I believe that God loves this country. I believe that He does. I believe that He has a special place in His heart for us. We, ha- we however, have no covenant with God like Israel did. And so we can't claim the same promises that, that they had, uh, but we can, I believe, apply some principles. And so what we're going to look at today is what happens when God is uh, punishing a nation, and I believe that our nation is under the judgment of God. And I don't say that with any, with any pleasure. I don't take any delight in that. But I believe the evidence is all around us. And only if we stick our head in the sand uh, are we oblivious to what's going on. So I want to take the first part of the, the sermon this morning. And uh, I want to deal with what it looks like when a nation is under the judgment of God. So if you will, turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 3. <clears throat> Now, Isaiah, he served under four kings. Uh, Uzziah was mostly a good king. Uh, He died died a kind of ignominious death. He died as a leper because he had tried to intrude into the office of the priesthood and offer uh, incense, which he was forbidden to do uh, as a king. But uh, Isaiah had um, the climate that he he, uh, prophesied or preached in The kingdom um, after Solomon was divided. Uh, Jeroboam rebelled uh, and the ten tribes to the north with him. And consequently or subsequently, there were no good kings that came out of the northern kingdom. Not one. It was born in rebellion, continued in rebellion. By the time Isaiah began to prophesy, the northern kingdom had largely been uh, sieged by the Assyrians and Sennacherib and and, and several others had come. Uh, The kingdom had been divided since the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And so, if we're looking at prophetic types, I believe that America can look at Judah as a prophetic type of what has happened. And I find it interesting that Judah Judah and Benjamin are the southern kingdoms, and by and large in America, the south uh, has been known as the Bible Belt, uh, the place where most conservative uh, theology has been held, to not to say that there aren't godly people up in in uh, the northern territories or in the west or midwest or whatnot, but by and large it would seem that most of our conservative churches have been uh, here in the south. And I thank God the Southern Baptists are are standing firm on conservative values, and we're about the last that we're about the last stand as far as the denominational churches go, and. Uh, uh, it's, it's really disturbing. And, but I thank God for the stand that, that Southern Baptists are taking. And I pray that we would continue to do so. And again, that's not to denigrate other denominations. But I'm just saying, we see the drift, the, the theological drift, the, uh, the drift in morality. And I'm, I'm thankful that uh, as of right now, we are. But we can't become complacent, guys. Because just as in every denomination, there is a liberal element within our ranks who would love nothing more than for us to go into apostasy and to abandon the word of God. Listen, if, if we don't go by this book, we got nothing to stand on, folks. This is it. The opinions of man will come and go. Ideologies will come and go. Jesus Christ, my word, will remain forever. And so I've got to preach this book. I can't preach my own opinions or my own ideas. All right, Isaiah chapter 3. And let's just go through some of these. Verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord the Lord of hosts, He takes away from Jerusalem and from Judea the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Uh, basically, everything that, that we depend on, God says, I'm going to take it away from you. And we see this in our country. Uh, we, the things that we've relied on for so long, they're, they're no longer... Uh, foundations or pillars anymore. They've become um, scarcities. Now, we haven't had a real famine of food and water, thank God. But uh, many of the things that we have depended on, the prosperity that we've enjoyed for so long, we now see that it's dwindling, don't we? Every time you go to the grocery store, you see it, don't you? Every every time you go to the gas pump, you see it. Notice notice next, uh, there's a void of leadership. The mighty man, the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter, and these are not necessarily good people, but it's all the the leadership. There's a void of any kind of competent leadership. Folks, if you look around, it seems like this country has lost its mind when I watch the news and every time I do my blood boils and Laurie says why are you watching that stuff again but I feel like I have to stay informed of what's going on but I'm infuriated because I see incompetence all around me where are the men of God the voices of reason calling our nation to morality our problem is not just a, an economic problem folks it's a moral problem look in verse 4. He says, I will give children to be their princes. And babes shall r- rule over them. Now this doesn't just mean young people. But it means childish leaders. And if ever I have seen a childish group of leaders running this country, it is today. Their, their primary concern, above all else, is we don't want to offend anybody. What about offending God? When was the last time we stopped to consider our ways and say, you know what, what does God think about all this stuff we're doing? And I can tell you he's not pleased. The people will be oppressed, everyone, and every, uh, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. There's going to be division in the country. Have we ever seen this country more divided than it is now? No, I don't think so. Not At least not in my lifetime. It is so divided. And Jesus Christ said this, and I believe Jesus. He said, a house that's divided against itself cannot stand. It can't stand. Notice the child will be insolent toward the elder and the base towards the honorable. Amazing. Children will disrespect their parents and the youth will denigrate the elders in the culture. We live in a culture that celebrates youth, and we uh, we denigrate seniors. And I want to tell you, every senior citizen in this church, you're important to God, you're important to me. God needs your leadership. The elders are important to any society, that we have godly senior citizens providing wisdom for the younger generation. Because how are we going to know if we don't have anybody to teach us? We need it. We need it. How many of you had a, a grandpa, a papa, or a mama that would sit under a, a tree somewhere in the summertime, slicing an apple with a pocket knife? Anybody remember that? And when Papa Haney was sitting under that tree, and he'd get out some apples, and he had an old pocket knife, and I don't know if that thing was sterile or not, and I didn't care. <laughs> but you knew there was going to be some wisdom that was going to come forth. To <laughs> he just got to clean his fingernails. You know, I think I remember him doing that too, but. <laughs> it's funny how we filter certain things out. But, but we, need to, uh, we need to honor the seniors, not denigrate them. Now, notice how this void of leadership is seen in verse 6. A man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying this. Look at this. You've got clothes. Be our ruler. Now, <laughs> what an interesting job requirement. It's almost as if you could go from being a community organizer to being a president. Oh, don't get quiet on me. (laughs) Qualification. Look at the qualifications of our leadership, and I'll tell you what their qualifications are. It's all identity politics. I'm in this role because I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm that. And it's not on the basis of merit. And that's what's wrong with this country. I'm talking about both parties. Don't, don't, don't get mad at me. And our media does everything they can to keep us at each other's throats. Every story is intended to divide and, and cause, uh, cause everybody to be uh, called hateful and, and bigots and phobic. And listen, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm scared of you. Okay? We live in this culture that says in order to love, we have to affirm. And that's not true love. Love speaks the truth. And it can only affirm that which is true. You know, what What if your child came to you and said, uh, Dad, I'm Spider-Man. Now, I thought I was when I was a kid. I thought... I now, would you indulge his fantasy? I mean, you might for a day or two, right? You play around with him. But but what if he gets to the point where he thinks he can jump off of buildings and, and, and climb, you know, and he's going to be able to shoot spiderwebs to save him? Would you indulge him in that? No, you'd say, no way. It reminds me of the, the two men that were in the mental uh, institution. There was two patients in the mental institution. And one guy, uh, day after day after day, He kept saying, I'm Abraham Lincoln, I'm Abraham Lincoln, I'm Abraham Lincoln. And finally his roommate got sick of it, and he said, who told you that you're Abraham Lincoln? He said, God did. And his roommate looked at him and said, no, I didn't. (laughs) You've got clothes, you be our ruler. That's your qualification. In that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills. Why? Because my house, there's neither food nor clothing. Don't make me a ruler of the people. I don't want to be a, a captain of a sinking ship, basically. Jerusalem stumbled. Now, we get to the reason in verse 8, and I've got to pick up some steam here. Jerusalem stumbled, Judas fallen. Why? Because their tongue and their doings are what? Against the Lord. The problem with this country is that we've turned our backs on God. On God. And we have sown the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. To provoke the eyes of his glory, verse 9. The look on their countenance, witnesses against them. They declare their sin as what? Sodom. Now I know this is going to offend some of you. But the, the, the reason Sodom was destroyed was not just a lack of hospitality. It was because of their sexual immorality. And now we have not a, a day, but we got a whole month that we call Pride Month. You know, pride is what made the devil the devil. You understand that? That's what made the devil the devil. The first sin, pride. And we dedicate a whole month And our leaders, next to the American flag, fly a rainbow pride flag. Right in the center. And we say, God bless America. How can he? The very thing that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, America says, we love it. We want more of it. We celebrate it. And put that flag beside the stars and the stripes that stand for the men and the women who died so that I can have the freedom to stand here or sit here today and preach the word of God. What an abomination to the living God. They declared their sin to Sodom. And look what it says. They don't hide it. Woe to their soul. They brought evil upon themselves. Notice we can't blame God because we brought it on ourselves. Say to the righteous, it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Now the righteous are going to suffer too, unfortunately, but our end will be different. Our end will be different. All right, I've got to move on. Go with me to Jeremiah now. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what book did I... I told you the book, but not the chapter. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. It's the next one over. Adam, I'm going to let you help me out some so people won't fall asleep listening to me. I put more people to sleep than Mike Lindell, the Mike, the, uh, the My Pillow guy. All right. Jeremiah 7... Would you read verse 16?
1: Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Notice God tells Jeremiah. Now, Isaiah prophesied you know, roughly
0: 100 years before Jeremiah. So Isaiah warned the people, Things are going to get bad. Do they listen to Isaiah? Nope. So along comes Jeremiah, and he says things are going to get bad, and the people are not listening. And God says to Jeremiah, uh, "It's not even worth praying about now, because I'm not going to listen to you." Now John MacArthur says that that's where we are in America. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go there, because I still believe that God can turn this thing around for us, at, at least for the remnant. So. I'm not going to say God's not going to answer our prayer, but there is a place. And remember, these are his chosen people. And God says, don't pray for them, because it ain't going to do any good. Uh, Go with me to Jeremiah 15. Adam, would you read
1: verse 1? Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth.
0: Samuel and Moses are some of the greatest intercessors in all of the word of God. And God says, even if Moses prayed for these people or Samuel, I wouldn't change my mind. Go to Jeremiah 30. And this is what the Bible refers to as an incurable wound. In other words, things are so bad, there's no remedy, there's no cure, there's only judgment. Jeremiah 30,
1: Adam, would you read verses 12 and 13? For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. There was no one to plead your cause, that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. It comes to a point where there's a point of no
0: return. And for Judah, that's what had happened. Their wound was incurable. Go with me to Ezekiel, that's the next book over. I tried to do these so we wouldn't have to flip flop everywhere. Ezekiel fourteen. And again, I want to I wanna remind you these are God's chosen people. These are not pagans. These are people that have a covenant with God that we don't have. Ezekiel 14.
1: Adam, would you read 12 through 21? The word of the Lord came against again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me, be persistent on faithfulness. I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, And cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through your land, and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on the land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off it, man, and beast from it. Even though these three men were in it as I live, says the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it as I live, says the Lord they would deliver neither son nor daughter and they would only deliver themselves by their righteousness All right, thank you so again
0: we see some of the great heroes of the faith Job, righteous man, Abraham, Noah these were men who prayed and interceded on behalf of their friends and their family and their families were spared and God said things have gotten so bad that if even if these three men were there I wouldn't spare the nation let's go to Romans chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 I know this is not popular preaching but do you want a hireling or do you want a preacher uh, you know that's 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 the question that we have to settle Romans 1. People ask me, where are we at prophetically? I'll tell you where we are. We're in Romans 1, and it's a scary place because it's the wrath of abandonment is what it is. It's when God gives us what we want instead of what we need. All right. Adam, let's tag-team through this and just do a little commentary. Um. Would you read verses
1: 18 and 19? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it in them. Keep going. Yeah, go ahead and read verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse.
0: All right, so the first thing we see is that there's a suppression of the truth. And that is what's going on in our country right now. And there's a denial of God as creator. Our schools and universities, when this country was founded, all of our documents... Has anybody ever read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, it? All of our documents tell us that God is our creator. But now these schools, universities, teach that we came from nothing. We're just animals. We're just evolved animals. And if I'm just an animal, then there's no right or wrong, right? All right, Adam, would you read... Uh Verses 21 through
1: twenty-one and 22 now. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Okay, that's what happens.
0: Said so they, they knew God. Everything in your being tells you there's a God. You can look around and tell, you know, we're 90-something million miles from the sun, but we're just close enough that we don't uh, uh, freeze to death, and we're just far enough away that we don't burn up. But that's not a, that's just random, right? No. Your heart tells you that there's right and wrong. It's called a conscience. That comes from God. But when we deny God, what happens is we become fools. Now notice what we
1: do in verse 23. Would you read that? And change the glory of the incorruptible. God into his image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. See, man is going to worship something. God created us to worship him. And if we don't
0: worship our creator, we'll worship something. Now we get to the worst part. Um, Adam, would you read twenty
1: four through twenty six? Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in their lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and the worship and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged like natural use for what is against nature. Read 27 to you. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. This is in your Bible, folks. Amen. This is in your New
0: Testament. This is in your New Testament. Notice he says even the women. Women are are kind of like the way a society is going to go. They're usually the most tender and loving. If you go to most churches now, there'd be more women than there are men in the churches. That's just that's just the way it is. But when a society is degraded or, or degraded, even the women. That's how you know things are bad. Is when even the women are doing these abominable things. And that's where we are folks. All right. Verse
1: 28. Just read the rest of the chapter if you would, Adam. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not unfit, which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are all whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also approve of them; those who practice them.
0: So, notice three times it says that God gave them up. God gave them up, and then finally God gave them over. And notice the end of that chapter. This this is the this is the uh, the nail in the coffin: is that people not only do those things, but now we celebrate them. We affirm them. We make corporations put rainbows on their products. And we say, if you don't support this, we'll cancel you. And that's where we are in this country. So is it all bad news? Well, I'm going to offer you a little bit of hope. We don't have a promise from God. We don't have a covenant with God as Americans. But I still believe that God loves the people in America. I believe he cares for us. And I believe there's a righteous remnant here. But if we'll do what the Bible says to do, that we can see. I want to see one last revival before Jesus comes. How about you? You want to be a part of that? How do we do it? Well, let's, let's look at some principles quickly here. Second Chronicles 7. Go there with me. Most of you know where I'm going. Second Chronicles 7. Now, this promise is for Israel. It's not for us but i believe the principle applies to us and i'll prove that to you in just a moment if you'll if you'll stick with me second chronicles chapter 7
1: If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal the land.
0: Do you believe that? That's Bible truth. That's Bible truth. If my people will humble themselves, not pride, humility, and will pray. And seek my what? Not my hand, but my face. And turn from the wicked ways. That's repentance. It's turning around. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive and I will heal. I still believe that, guys. It's still the truth. I want to prove it to you. Go with me now to uh, Jeremiah 18. Now, Jeremiah is the one who talked about the incurable Wound, but we have to declare the whole counsel of God. Jeremiah 18. Adam, would you read verses 5 through 11? Jeremiah 18, 5 through 11.
1: Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look at the clay as in the potter's hands, so you're in my hand. O house of Israel, the instance I speak concerning a nation and a conquering a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster and the thought to bring upon it. And in the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build up to and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will not relent concerning the good with which I have said, and I would benefit it. Now therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of the Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am finished fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good.
0: See, God says, even if I'm intending to bring judgment, if you'll call on my name and pray to me, I'll, I'll turn away from what I was going to do. That's the heart of God, I believe. I believe God would much rather show mercy than judgment. That's I can prove it to you, but we don't have to sit here all day for me to do that. I mean, we know that. What about the city of Nineveh? They didn't know God. They were pagans. And Jonah didn't come and say, if you repent, I'll bless you. Jonah says, God's going to destroy this city. There was no promise of anything. And the king, why don't we go there? Just just go there. Just go to Jonah. Go to book of Jonah, chapter 3, prophet Jonah. We're talking about a wicked city. The the And by the way, these are the oppressors of his people, the Assyrians. That's why Jonah didn't want to go preach to them. That would be like God calling you to go preach to the Taliban. You might have some issues about it. Well, not you, but I would. <laughs> some of you would say, oh, here I am, Lord, send me. I know. Jonah 3. Adam, would you read verses 9 and 10? Jonah 3, verses 9 and 10.
1: Who can tell if God will turn away and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon it them and did not do it
0: i love that now john was mad about it he was angry but i love it because it shows me that god will turn from his anger if we'll if we'll get serious if we'll get serious about serving the lord and turn our hearts back to him he'll hear us now manasseh was one of the most wicked kings I'm going to give you one more place to go, okay? Don't get mad at me. I'm wrapping this up, I promise. Second Chronicles. Back to Second Chronicles. <clears throat> and I didn't tell you the chapter, did I? 34. We've got a bunch of historical revisionists in our country. And they want to change the name of everything and remove all the landmarks. And you do realize that's Marxism. Uh, That's classic Marxism, socialism leading to communism, which is basically institutionalized theft is what socialism is. The Bible says I work and then I eat. Uh, Socialism says you work and I eat. Uh, it's institutionalized theft is what it is but um we we need to understand this that this country was founded upon godly principles our laws that govern us come straight out of the word of God they come straight out of the word of god what did i say second chronicles 34. Now, Manasseh was a wicked king, one of the worst ever. But he had a grandson named Josiah. I believe God's got some young people. I believe he's still got some young people that have a heart for him. All right, Adam, would you read verses 1, 2. Let's just do 1, 2, and 3, 1 through 3.
1: Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside from the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images.
0: He was eight years old when he became a king. How'd you like to have that job when you're eight years old? You'd you'd think it was cool if you were eight. (laughs) Those of us who are old enough to know better would know that would be terrible. But when he was 16 years old, the Bible says he began to seek the Lord. Oh, I would to God some of our politicians would begin to seek the Lord. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar did. Something happened. Uh, He starts purging. The land of idolatry, uh, idolatrous practices, and they found a copy of the Bible. I'm I'm, I'm condensing this, but they found a co- a copy of the Bible. It says in verse uh, 14 that they found the law of, of Moses. <laughs> it says, "I have found the 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 book of the Lord, the book of God in the house of the Lord." That's that's a pretty novel idea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that they would have the Bible in the, in the house of God, and yet we have churches where the preachers don't preach the Bible. Okay, I won't camp out there. Now look at verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And notice he says in verse 21, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of this book, for great is the wrath of the Lord. That is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept all that is written in the book. Now going over to uh, going over to the next chapter in verse and chapter thirty-five, it says, "Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover." On the fourteenth day of the first month, just like God had told him to do. Now look at the last verse, few verses of the chapter. Look at verse um, eighteen. There had not been a, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel, the prophet. That's a long time. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as he kept. (laughs) There was such a revival in Josiah's day that the Bible says there had never been a time like that. And I believe that God can give that to us, friends. I'm, I'm just, I'm not naive. I just know our God. And I know he loves us. And I know we're reaping a lot of what we've sown, folks. I think God's trying to get our attention. I think it started sometime after World War II. We began our drift. We began a drift. The secularization of society. We want to drive God out of everything. And God says, if that's what you want, this is what you'll get. You'll have anarchy. You'll have a plague of sexual immorality and homosexuality. You'll have incompetent leaders. You'll have a diminished military. I read in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, not exactly a, a Christian publication, that the military is having a very difficult time. Even veterans don't want their children to serve. You know why? Because they don't have confidence in the administration. That's why. They don't have confidence that, that they're going to fight wars for the right reason and that things won't just be politically and monetarily motivated. I didn't get into all the, the stuff that Isaiah talked about, the bribery. Uh, that would be rampant. And, and and most of our politicians, folks, they're so beholden to the uh, the lobbyist that by the time they get in office, they owe so many favors. The deal's already done, guys. You know, and and I think we. Ought, this is just Henry here. I think every one, of, every last one of them ought, ought to have term limits, and and they shouldn't be able to just live live off the people forever and ever. Because once they get in office, their goal may have started out pure, but then that goal becomes to stay in power. It's human nature. Right? That's human nature. God gave a revival in the days of Josiah. It started with a 16-year-old boy that decided he was going to seek the Lord. And I believe God's got some 16-year-old kids. I believe he's got some little children in this church. I believe that. I'm looking at them. that are going to turn their hearts to the Lord. And some grown-ups... Some, some middle-agers like me and some, some old-timers that are going to sit there and set their face toward God and say, God, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our idolatry. Forgive us of our Im- immorality. We're not seeking your hand anymore, God. We're seeking your face. And we want you to send a revival, the likes of which we've never seen. And I believe God loves us just enough to do that. I believe it. Now, the sad thing is that the revival in Israel was short-lived, and eventually they went into captivity. And that's why I've got to close with this. I don't believe United States of America makes it out of here. There's no mention of us in Bible prophecy. People have tried to find it. It's not there. Furthermore, the Israelites signed a covenant with the Antichrist, and if we're here, there'd be no need for that what i am asking you today is that you would get right with god that i would get right with god that we would get right with god so that our children and our children's children if jesus should tarry and he may not he may come before this week's over and that's not, that's my hope and that's my belief in the imminent return of jesus but we need to live in such a way that our children won't have to grow up in a godless, immoral society where they call good evil and evil good. I don't want that for my kids, for my grandchildren. I want them to grow up believing that America can be great, that America is great. This is the greatest place in the world. Why do you think people want to come here? Look at every place where socialism has been tried, and it's a failed experiment. It's a failure everywhere. We are the only benevolent world power, folks. The only one in the world. And that's why it's important that America survives, I believe. It's crucial to the security of the whole world. Would you stand? After our altar service, I'm going to ask for our children, or during the altar service, if the children were to make their way to the back, we have... Uh, some more presentation in our service today. I didn't come here to make you mad today. I came here as a, a, I believe in the spirit of the Lord uh, give me the message to give to you today. And I want to tell you what it's like. It's like uh, the angel told John in Revelation. It says there's going to be a work. There's a little book that he eats, and he says it's sweet in your mouth and it's bitter in your belly. And when I think about all the things that are going to befall this nation if we don't turn away. It, that's why I'm standing here preaching to you this way today. It's because I love you and I love this country. And I want to see America turn back to God. That we would be one nation under God. That's what the Founding Fathers intended for us. Hey, were we perfect? No. We had issues. We, there were race relation problems, women's rights, labor negotiations. But you know what? We've been working through that. And these guys that are in Washington now, they're trying to drive us back to the Civil War days. They're trying to remove all the progress that we've made. Let's don't let them do that. I believe there's a righteous remnant who stand up and say, God is our God, and this nation was founded upon godly principles, and Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're on your way to an eternal damnation. But you can be saved today if you will put your faith in a risen Lord. Jesus died for your sins according to the Scriptures. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. And if you and I will repent, put our trust in him, we can be born again. But I want to call on the believers here. I'm going to call on every everybody. And I want this altar to be full, not not as a badge of whatever this sermon was. I don't care about that. I want us to be praying because we are the hope of the nation. Jesus' last words were not to the rulers in Rome. It wasn't to the White House. We, went, we didn't have one then, of course. You know, Jesus' last words, they were written to seven struggling churches in Asia Minor, with modern-day Turkey. And I believe God's message today is not to the White House. They're going their own way, or the governor's mansion, or whatever. His, his word is to the church. Judgment begins at the house of God, and God's calling on his people and saying, will somebody, anybody stand in the gap? Will somebody get on their knees and pray and say, God, forgive us of our sins and heal our land? I wonder, is there, is there a Daniel today? Is there a Noah? Is there an Abraham that's willing to do that? If so, would you come?